Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 this morning. Holy Spirit, lead us in your word, lead us in the truth. Open up our hearts and our minds and speak to us. And let us be doers and not hearers only. In Jesus' name. Amen. You ever wanted to have a do-over on life? Maybe you had a project or you had a bad conversation and you think, man, if I could just have another swing at that, you know. No, actually. <laughs> or maybe a situation or uh, a stage of life where you thought it'd be nice to go back and do something a little bit different. Or, You know, I remember times, especially as a teenager, where there was a lot of frustration with myself. You look at your life, you say, where's the fruit on the tree, right? All I see is branches. I don't know where the fruit's at. And you think, man, what gives? What have I done wrong? What do I need to do differently? And uh, when, you know, on our own, when we, when we try to succeed on our own, it can feel a little bit like a self-help book. It doesn't really help that much. See, the self-help is a little bit ironic, right? If you need help, if yourself needs help, how can you find it from yourself? You know what I'm saying? It's, uh, it's like you can't be drowning and the lifeguard at the same time, right? Uh, that kind of doesn't fit. You know, the nice thing about Jesus, the nice thing of what God has done for us in Jesus is he gives us the do-over in life. He gives you not just a second chance, but a new life. Something completely different than what you had on your own before. What hope we need in that. In fact, if you've not come to the point that you realize that on your own, you're done. That you are unable to do anything good apart from Christ. If you haven't come to that point, you got a couple lessons ahead. Uh, Get ready for the bumpy road of self-discovery. And discovering your own sense of need for Christ. But God gives us a second chance in Jesus. I want to show you today in John chapter 3. Where Jesus has an encounter with one of the most religious people in Israel. And yet his life needed a do-over. His life needed a second chance opportunity, a second chance. His name was Nicodemus. And I'll show you how if even the most religious of people needed a change in their lives, so do you and me. So do you and me. So we're going to begin in John chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to see uh, there's three ways or three musts for the change in your life. And the first must that Jesus is going to speak to Nicodemus about is you must be born again. Okay. Verse 1. 
Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So here we see Nicodemus, he's a ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee. Okay, so a Pharisee was one of the high class religious leaders of that day. You think about like the Pope and his cardinals. Uh, you think about the cardinals, these ruling religious leaders. And he decides to, he sees Jesus and decides to come to him by night. Interesting fact number one, he came by night, not by day. Can't be seen with this guy in public. They'll talk. And I don't want them to talk. Nobody, you, you know those people who, uh, they won't come to a church building, but they'll read the Bible in secret. They don't want to be seen with it yet because they're investigating, they're discovering. Nicodemus wants to know more, but he's not ready to make an open statement to his colleagues that he has an interest in Jesus. He'll get too much backlash. He comes to him by night and says that, Jesus, you must be from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, what were the signs that Jesus was doing? In the book of John, uh, John is writing about Jesus' life, and throughout the book, he points to these various signs that Jesus does that show us something about him. Anybody name one of those signs that Jesus performed? Water to wine at the wedding of Cana. Yes, that was a sign. If you, if you look back in chapter 2, verse 11, it says, This is the first of his signs Jesus did and manifested his glory. So these signs were to show or reveal who Jesus is. You know some of the other miracles, things like, um, things like feeding the 5,000 with the bread and the fishes. That was a sign he raised the dead, Lazarus, raising the dead. These were signs to show you and me, this is Jesus, the Son of God. He is who he said he is. So Nicodemus sees these signs and he says, you have to be a teacher from God. And Jesus doesn't skip a beat. He jumps right in and tells Nicodemus his greatest need. What would be your greatest need that you have in your life? Would it? Well, once we've been born, the greatest need Jesus will point to is to be born again. That is the greatest need. Verse 3, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus uses that phrase, truly, truly, a lot. Whenever you see that phrase, mark what Jesus is going to say because it's important. It's important. It's like he's saying, for real, this is legit. Um, pay attention what he says. He says, you must be born again or you will not see the kingdom of God. Now, we've talked about the kingdom. Kingdom was the primary message Jesus preached. That there is a kingdom where God rules and reigns as king. And it's coming. It's at hand. You want to enter into that kingdom. Okay. Now we understand there's a couple different areas where that kingdom is manifested. The most commonly known is heaven. Heaven is the place where God rules and reigns as king. Sometimes it's the kingdom of heaven. 
or the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, unless you are born again, you can't even recognize, you can't even see that kingdom. You can't see that, that realm where God rules and reigns as king. All right? Now that confuses Nicodemus, as it might confuse you or me. So Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus clarifies something. Well, hold on, Nicodemus. You're thinking natural birth, right? Natural birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. Verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Wow, that's an interesting statement. First, he said, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom. Now he says, unless you're born of water and the spirit, you can't enter. Unless there is a spiritual birth in your life, a change that's not physical, but spiritual, you cannot enter into God's kingdom. All right. So let me ask you. What does he mean when he says born of water and of the spirit? We'll just take a minute. Any thoughts? What does he mean when he says born of water and of the spirit? Baptized. Okay, that's a natural thought is to think it's referring to baptism. Um, however, I don't think that's what he's saying. Huh? Christ was water. Okay. Jesus went through water, baptism, and the spirit came down. It could be, there could be an image there. Yeah. So it could be referring to a natural birth because there's water involved in a natural birth, right? When your water breaks, that's not really water, but that's how they refer to it, right? Unless you have a natural birth and a spiritual birth. Now, I think that's the better case. And here's why. Look at the next verse. If, you, if you're unsure about what a verse means, read the context. Now, what does he say in the next verse? That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. See, so it almost seems like he's saying he's making a difference between a natural birth and a spiritual birth. I think that's what he means when he says born of water and the spirit. All right. Because normally when you're baptized, you've already been born again. Okay. Normally it's the other way around. Not spirit, spirit, and then you will get water baptized. So, so being baptized I, is more like a symbolic type of... Yes, baptism is a symbolic expression of what the Holy Spirit has already done in your life. It's like the marriage ceremony. Um, it's a sign of what you are, you, what a union that is taking place. More on baptism, we'll talk about baptism another time. But here, I'm going to talk about that spiritual birth. Jesus differentiates and says, you need to have a spiritual birth. Verse 6, that which is born of the Spirit. Now, what does that phrase mean? Born of the Spirit. Of the Holy Spirit. This spiritual birth is the activity of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, that born of. It's this idea of from the work of the Holy Spirit, there's a birth. 
Okay? Imagine the Spirit, Holy Spirit, like... Man. Think of Mary. Think of Mary. Mary, how did she conceive Jesus? The angel told her, the power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Right? And that conceived in her the Son of God. It was from the work of the Holy Spirit. In the same way, if you and I need a spiritual birth, you and I can't do it. Okay? The infant can't give birth to himself or herself. It needs to be the work of the Holy Spirit. That's You and I are totally dependent upon God's Spirit to be born again. Okay? The Holy Spirit is active from beginning to end. Verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So now Jesus is talking about what it looks like to be a born again person. Okay, what it's saying is that the person born of the Spirit is now his life or her life is now subjected to the Holy Spirit. All right? You are not your own anymore. You belong to God. You belong to Christ. And his Spirit is now in the driver's seat and you're in the passenger seat of your life. God is calling the shots and God is leading you. And that can be somewhat unpredictable. That can be somewhat unsure in a way. Have you ever been challenged to surrender your life to God? You know, it's funny. God doesn't give you a blueprint of what it's going to look like. He doesn't give you a roadmap of uh, what your life's going to look like for the next 20, 30, 40 years. That'd be nice, right? It'd be like, look, I want to give you the keys to the car, but you need to tell me where you're going first, right? Remember Abraham? When God showed up to Abraham, he said, Abraham, go, leave your family to a land that I will show you. And Hebrews says that Abraham left not knowing where he was going. When you surrender and you give your life to Christ, when you have a spiritual birth, you are not your own anymore. You call the shots no more. You are now subjected and submitted to God wherever he would lead you, whatever he wants to do in your life. Because just like a child is born and does not belong to themselves, who do they belong to? Their parents, their mom and dad, the one who gave them birth. In the same way, the Holy Spirit, when he gives birth, you belong to him. You were bought at the price of the blood of Jesus. Okay? I love it. You know, and here's a little hint or a little tip. The word wind in Greek is the word pneuma, which is the same word for spirit. So when Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes or where it goes, so it is with everyone born of the spirit. Um, you could say, so is everyone born of the wind. Or the spirit blows where it wishes. It's the same word in the Greek. So Jesus is using a word play and using the analogy of wind to talk about what it's like for a person born of the Holy Spirit. You don't know where the wind's going tomorrow. You don't know where it came from, but you know it's there. In the same way, 
The Holy Spirit wants direction of your life, but he gets to call the shots. Okay? So Jesus is saying there needs to be a work of that Holy Spirit. All right? What exactly is that spiritual birth? What does that mean, Sammy? What does that mean in practical terms? It means that you've been made a new person. It means that you've been given a new heart, a new will, and a new spirit. In the Old Testament, God told, if you read about the Israelites in the Old Testament, how did they do in keeping God's laws and commandments? They did not do well, okay? They broke them all the time. You know why? They had hearts of stone. They had hard hearts. Have you ever felt a hard heart as if you couldn't do what God required? As if you weren't able to keep the commands of God? Beloved, that's where the Israelites were. And God promised them in Ezekiel chapter 36. He said, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will take out your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways. And keep my commandments. He never says it's easy though. He does describe sin as a disease. Yes. Um, Sin is a disease that hardens the heart. But you and I need the master surgeon to pull out that heart of stone. And to give you a heart of flesh. And when a person gets born again, a change happens. All of a sudden, somebody, there's another will inside of them that's not their own. But it's actually the will of the Holy Spirit. How do you know when that birth is happening? There's a couple signs of the Holy Spirit's work. He convicts in regards to sin. When you are convinced of your sin, that you are a sinner, that you do not deserve God's love or favor or grace, but that you are deserving of punishment, somebody only comes to that conclusion through the work of the Holy Spirit. He is the convincer and convinces you of your sin. So if you feel a sense of your sinfulness, Know that the Holy Spirit's at work, but that's not, he doesn't leave you there. He also convinces and guards to righteousness. You have need to be right with God. And he makes you hungry. He stirs a hunger in you for righteousness. And then he points you to Jesus and to the cross where you are made right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus. He also works convincing in regards to judgment. Um, Convinces you in regard to the fact that God will judge the world, that he will judge sin, that he will judge the devil and uh, moves in your heart to make a U-turn in your life. Those are signs of the Holy Spirit's work. When you start to understand who Jesus is and your need for him, it's a sign of the Holy Spirit's work. Jesus recognized that if anybody came to him, it was God's work. He said, no one can come to the Father unless the Father Draws him. When Jesus says you have need to be born again, born of the Holy Spirit, what he's saying is the Holy Spirit is like a midwife bringing forth a baby. It's, it's his work, the Holy Spirit's work, that can bring a change in your life. And you have need of it because without that change, you will not enter the kingdom of God. So, Sam, how do I get born again? What does that look like? What do I do? It is simple, what Jesus says. Look at the next section. So Nicodemus, again, thank you Nicodemus for being confused for us. Um, Verse 9, the religious leader of the day is not keeping up. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus 
chides him, and he answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Ouch. (laughs) Come on, Nicodemus. Come on, Mr. Pope. Aren't you the Pope of the Catholic Church, and you do not understand these things? Why? Because there are certain things you cannot understand in your natural mind apart from the Holy Spirit's work. So one sign of the Holy Spirit is you start to understand things of God. Not all at once, but little by little, he reveals things. You just have your mind opened up to truths that didn't make sense before. You get excited about realities you never thought about before. It's like you see the world in color where you used to see it in black and white. Beloved, that is the Holy Spirit who guides you into all truth. Okay? Now, here's what Jesus tells Nicodemus, has Nicodemus. He points to his problem that Nicodemus is having. Verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven. The son of man. Let's pause. Nicodemus' problem is that he has not believed the word of God. Okay? He has not believed the word of God. Jesus said, look, we bear witness to what we've seen. And he's referring to... Um, I'll give just a moment. Tirza is informing us what's going on. Jesus is pointing out why Nicodemus is having a hard time understanding. Look, we bear witness to what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. These things were testified by Jesus, by John the Baptist, by the prophets of the Old Testament, but the Pharisees weren't really heeding what God had said in his word. If you had believed God's word, you would understand what Jesus is saying. Does that make sense? The the mode through which you can have the Holy Spirit bring a rebirth is by believing the word of God. Believing what God says in his word. Okay? We need to believe God's word. Why? Because you and I haven't been there and we haven't done that. Jesus said, verse 13, no one has ascended into the Father or up into heaven, except for he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So let me put it this way. Were you there when the world was created? No. How do you know? You just got to believe what God says, right? When we're born, and my parents say that we were born seven pounds, five ounces, you can't verify that. You're just going to have to take their word for it because you weren't there. Jesus has come from heaven to tell us of God, right? You can't go there, or you couldn't. You have to take his word for it. When God spoke about how he created the world, Adam and Eve couldn't go back and watch. They had to take his word for it. And throughout the Bible, God wants us to believe based upon his word. In the book of John, Jesus is doing all of these signs, right? But his real desire is for the Jews to believe his words. 
That's what God is looking for, for you and to me to just take him at his word. If you believe God's words, you're going to see a spiritual birth in your life. I promise. All right. And I'll prove it to you in just a moment. With a couple of scriptures. Actually, let's do that now. Um, who's got First uh, Peter? I, did I give both of those to you, Steve? Yeah. All right, Steve, read James chapter one and First well, First Peter's fine. You can start there. Uh, chapter one, verse what is it? Twenty-three and twenty-five. Being born again of a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all glory of man as a flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower therefore falls away. Uh, but the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Alright, and then James chapter 1. Oh, Oh, okay. Um, did I pass out James? Um, James chapter 1, I think it's verse 18. Oh, uh, Cindy's got that. Excuse me. So in uh, Steve's verse, he said, Peter says, You are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God. So what Peter is saying is, You are born again through the word. When you hear God's word and you believe it, you're born again. What, but it's a specific word. What is that specific message that you and I believe to be born again? What is the specific message you and I have to come to believe to be born again? Yes, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for our sins. It's the gospel, the good news message. This word is the good news that was preached to you. That's what Peter says. When you come to believe the good news message, boom, you're born again. It's like a seed being planted in your heart that sprouts and starts to bear fruit and grow in your life. Um, go ahead, Cindy. Read James 1. Yeah, he, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. It's through God's word that you are born again. There are many people who are having spiritual experiences of all kinds, but they're not born again. It's possible to have a spiritual experience, but not be born again. Some people can be discouraged because you look at your life, or you look at this other person's life, and you say, man, why didn't I have the fireworks when I believed? Do you ever feel like that? I was a junior high kid and I had to give my testimony and I thought, man, my testimony is lame. <laughs> I, I don't have the before and after black and white shift that I wanted to see. Like, like that guy is all tattooed and used to murder people and now he's winning people to Jesus, you know. Uh, mine wasn't quite like that. I can't even tell you exactly when I was born again. But I know that I have been. Because I've seen that Holy Spirit's work in my life. I believe His word. I believe what He says. And uh, it's not perfect either, right? Um, I see all kinds of mess in my life. But I see the convicting of the Holy Spirit of sin. 
I see him moving in me, teaching me about righteousness. I, I see God speaking to me in his word. And I believe that Jesus is the son of God. Beloved, if you can say, I believe Jesus is the son of God, that he died for my sins and rose from the dead, that you can only say that through the Holy Spirit. You can only say that through him. Don't worry about how it looks or how messy it is. Verse messy, period. Some of you know that better than others, but birth is messy, but it is his work. It is his work. You're born again through believing the word of God. Now, specifically, you're born again through believing the good news message by trusting in Jesus. And that's the last section we're going to look at here in Jesus' conversation with John. Look at verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, Jesus is referring to a a story in the book of Numbers. God's people were in the desert. They were complaining, like all get out. They were grumbling. And so God sends serpents, snakes among the people. And they bit the people, and people were dying. And the Lord gave Moses instructions on what to do. Moses, you need to put a bronze snake on a pole and erect it on that pole so that if somebody gets bit, they need to only look up at that pole and they will live. So that's the Old Testament story Jesus is referring to. And here's how Jesus applies it. He says, as, that, as Moses lifted up the serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Just like when you were bit by that serpent and you were lying there dying from the poison, all you had to do was to look at the saving symbol on a stake, on a pole, on a tree, and you would live. In the same way, God erected the Son of God, His own Son, upon a pole, upon a tree, upon a stake, so that those who have been bitten by sin's curse may look and be saved. That's simple. That's simple, guys. So that how many who believe on Him may have eternal life? So that whoever, so that all who believe in Him may have eternal life. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. How do you know that God loves us? Here, it tells you how you know God loves us. For in this way, God loved the world. He gave his Son. When we see a tragedy like... Um, a death when we see a tragedy like the evil or pain that we see in our world there's a natural question comes up how can there be a loving God and that's a hard question it's a hard question and it's a question that has plagued humanity for thousands of years John 3.16 says, In this way, God loved the world. He sent his son. He gave up his son. Knowing he would be crucified.
upon a cross, determining that Jesus would be crucified and suffer and die. Not only that, it was the only way so that you and I could be saved, not perish, but have everlasting life. If you ever doubt God's love for you, there's a place you can look where you can be assured. It's at the cross. It is the stamp of proof that God loves you is by giving up his only son for you so that you have the opportunity to not perish but have everlasting life. Now, will there be people who perish? Yes. Why will people perish? What does it mean to perish? Perish means to be destroyed, to, be, to enter into utter ruin. That's what the word perish means. And what it's referring to, there's a, there's a kingdom of God, but there's another place. Where sinners will die and be in hell. A place of fire and burning for eternity. That's perishing. That is the epitome of the word to perish. Who go there? Those who have not looked up at the Son of God who've been bitten by the curse of sin but have not looked to the Savior. You and I are given an opportunity to believe upon that Savior. You don't have to believe it. God will not force you. He does not make you do it. His Spirit can be drawing. His Spirit can be convincing. And it's, I believe it is possible for, the, for a person to resist that Spirit. And they continue in their way all the way into hell. But notice, this was not God's desire or his heart. The Bible says God desires none to perish, but all to reach repentance. Verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You see, God's heart here is not to bring condemnation but to bring salvation. Jesus came not to condemn us, but to save us. The reality is you and I, apart from Jesus, we are already in condemnation. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. And whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If a person does not believe or trust in Jesus, or trust in God's word about Christ. They're already condemned. Because they've broken God's law. And they have sinned. All of us have sinned. All have sinned and fallen. Short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. All have sinned. You and I are without Jesus. We're criminals on the run. Criminals on the run. And one day God will bring us into judgment. Right? And God is saying get right with him now. Get right with him by trusting in Jesus. What does it mean to believe upon Jesus? What does it mean? We talked about faith a little bit last week. Faith is considering God true and his word to be trustworthy. What does faith really look like? Is it intellectual consent? Yeah, you know, I'm going to vote for Biden. I believe in Biden, Joe Biden. I believe in Donald Trump. Is it having a political affiliation? Or is it deeper 
than that. Think about it this way. Do you trust your doctor? If you, okay. Some of you, this is a bad example. Yeah, you don't trust your doctor. How do you know whether somebody trusts their doctor or not? How do you know whether somebody really trusts... See, for example, this is a great example. Some of you are shaking your head. You got a doctor, right? But he's not really your doctor, right? If you don't do... How do you know? How do you know whether somebody trusts their doctor? They go to him and they follow their advice. They go to him and they follow their advice. That's good. Okay. Trusting them or liking them is two different things. Okay. Trusting and liking. Maybe you do or don't like your doctor. But now, this is a good example. If you really trust your doctor, you can say you trust your doctor, right? He comes up, you say, Doc, I trust you. But when you go home and you don't take the prescription, who's trusting now? (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Real faith in Christ means that you follow him and you do what he says. Okay? There are many who will say to him on that day, Lord, Lord. They'll call him Lord. But they never followed his prescription. They never heeded his words. They never believed what he said. He was a mere political candidate to them. A mere like, a mere follow on their Facebook. But they never really followed the prescription. Jesus, the disciples, on one second. um, The disciples, in contrast, said this. They said, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. To those who trust in Jesus, they'll take his words seriously. He said, if you keep my words, you are truly my disciple. You see what I'm saying? If we are in the peril of hell, we have a dying cancer that will ruin us. Jesus has come, not for the healthy, but for the sick. For the sinners. He said, I didn't come for the righteous, but for sinners. Jesus has the prescription. Are you trusting in him for that prescription? How would you know? Look at your life. Your life will show me whether you have been born again. Your life will show me whether the Holy Spirit is at work. Your life will show me. Here's what John said at the end of this chapter. Chapter 3. He said this in verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Did you see that? Whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever does not obey shall not see life. Wow. Wow. It's almost as if belief and obeying are tied together. Now, this is not to weigh a heavy burden on any of you. If you feel a heavy burden in your Christian walk, it's a sign that you need to lean into the Holy Spirit because he is given to you to lift that burden off your shoulders. He can do it, beloved. You have only to trust in him, okay? The Holy Spirit is given to you so that you might be able to obey Jesus. But where does it begin? It begins by believing what he says. If you believe his words, you have eternal life. It can be a simple transaction that happens in a split second. When Jesus was being crucified, there was a man on his right and a man on his left. They were mocking him and deriding him. But one comes to his senses and says, 
What are we doing? You and I are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. In that moment, in a split second, he had done nothing but the criminal upon the cross believed Jesus' words about who he was. And in that moment, Jesus, he was born again, or would have been. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And as Jesus died that day, a criminal entered with him into the kingdom of God. It is simple as believing Jesus' words. Isn't that awesome? That it is that simple. That that transaction happens and the Holy Spirit moves and starts shaping you, informing you to be like Jesus. But the reality is that Jesus' life always causes a point of decision for people. Okay? We look at verse 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes in the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus forces a decision for people. He's like a light, like a lamp shining into the dark place. And so when people would encounter Jesus, it was you're either in the light or you're in the darkness. He would force that decision. To believe in Jesus, you had to come into the light and admit, I'm a sinner. I've sinned. I do not deserve eternal life. I need a Savior. But if you loved your sin and you didn't want to leave your sin, if you wanted to stay in the dark and not be exposed when Jesus' light would come, you draw away and back away into the shadows. Jesus always forces a point of decision. Will you trust him and follow him and obey him? Or will you recede into the darkness and hide to be kept until judgment? When Jesus was a baby, Joseph and Mary had brought him into the temple and an old man who had been waiting for Jesus to come. He was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that Jesus was coming. He took Jesus into his arms and then he prophesied about Jesus and he told Mary, his mother, what was going to happen to Jesus and what was going to happen to her. Here's what he says. Behold, this child, Mary, is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is to be opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You know where somebody is at with God with, because of how they respond to Jesus. A couple of questions in closing. Do you believe God's word concerning his son? Have you believed God's word? That he sent his son to save you from your sins. That Jesus is the Son of God. That he came down from heaven, walked on the earth, died for sins and rose from the dead. Have you trusted in Jesus in its simplest form and looked at that cross? Not the physical wood, but the one who was there. 
to save you. Beloved, you can be comforted that you can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is not a natural thing to do. It is unnatural. It is spiritual. Only the Holy Spirit could ever draw somebody to believe truly upon Jesus. You can be comforted in that. The Bible says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Okay, no one can confess Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If so, you have been reborn. There has been a rebirth in your life. Can you identify the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Is there a hunger for the things of God? Is there a hunger for righteousness? Is there a hunger for the word of God? And to grow, do you desire to grow in Jesus? Beloved, that is a sign of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. I saw this uh, from another pastor said, growing in Jesus is more like growing an apple than like downloading an app. Which is easier, to grow an apple or download an app? Downloading an app takes a second and it's instantly there. But being born again is like an apple. It starts small. Little changes. You won't even notice if you stare at it. It doesn't grow an apple in a day. But it forms the bud, forms, and then the flower forms. And then the fruit starts to swell and to grow. It's a process. It's a change that's slow, but it's real. It's real. You may be discouraged because you can't see what's happening. But that process, know that God is surely doing the work. And you can take comfort in this. It's not up to you to grow. Neither the planter nor the waterer is anything but God who gives the growth. God is the one who makes you grow. It's the Holy Spirit's work. Born of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that's going to make you like Jesus. And if you truly have been born again, nothing can stop that growth. Are you following the leading of the Holy Spirit today? Like that wind that blows this way and that way? Is there a submission knowing that my life is not my own anymore? But today I will do what God leads me to do. Today as the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin or leads me to righteousness, I'm going to take that step in obedience to God because of the Holy Spirit's prompting in my heart. Have you surrendered your life to the Holy Spirit? Many are discouraged because they, while having been born again, have not really made the decision to submit to the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that you're not a Christian, but you may find yourself like those babes of Corinth. You're fleshly. You're arguing. There's all these other things happening because your mind has been set on something other than Christ and His Spirit. You can make the adjustment today in your heart, Lord Forgive me for thinking about earthly things. Set my mind upon your Holy Spirit and to see his work in my life. Thank you for what you are doing that I can't even see. I trust in you. And beloved, you will see God's change in your life. If you struggle to see it, I challenge you to ask another believer, where have you seen the Holy Spirit at work in my life? 
And I'm sure they'll pull about five or ten different things that they've seen of how God has been working in your life that you haven't been able to see from your position. So let's pray. Jesus, we trust in your work. Lord, I pray that you would give a sense to each person here what is needed. Are they like Nicodemus, who maybe have lived in religion but never had the rebirth? Holy Spirit, would you convince each of us our need to be born again, to be submitted and following the leading of the Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen.